Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm a writer and I live in New York. This is my best friend Stephanie. I'm also a writer and I live in Dublin. Although there is a physical separation of 3,000 miles, that has not stopped us remaining best friends. I think it's slightly more than 3,000 miles, but we'll let that slide. We speak, on average, twice a day. Probably text every day, and we speak most days, I would say. You probably want less, but I always want more. (laughs) We are best friends, and we want to explore the concept of friendship and relationships. So in this series, we're going to look at different types of relationships. Ones that we were maybe born into. Some that we were thrust into. Or forced into. Some that we were forced out of. And some that we chose. They're all situationships. Welcome to the show. Okay, so today we are going to talk about mentors and heroes. I don't have any. Of either. No, there's nobody that I look up to and I'm like, yeah, wow, cool, they're so awesome, totally. Well, I'm not a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle about it, like but cowabunga, <laughs> but I am interested in like having a mentor, having someone to look up to, having someone to like approve of me and then someone to aspire to. Do you not have... I just find the whole concept of mentorship as this, oh, they're better than you. They're going to tell you how to live your life. I I can't relate to it. I just want to poke holes in and go, well, why do you think that you know better? And why are you supremely qualified to give me advice? You know, it's I just don't believe in the construct of authority. Like, Do you believe in the construct of like accumulating knowledge and expertise over years? Yeah, but I think you do that through your walk through life. I don't think that anyone can tell you how to live your life and that you're actually going to do what they say. So would you hire a Sherpa to climb Mount Everest or would you be like, I don't need an expert, I can do it by myself? Well, I wouldn't do it so smirkily, but I'd do it with a group of peers. Like, and we'd all figure it out together, you know? You'd all end up dead in the snow, Rachel. Like, yeah, but what is... a way to go! Oh, no, like, okay, I'm all for adventure. Well, I'm not, but like... <laughs> you're not at there all. There is a value in having someone who... You want to follow because you want to get to where they are. See, that's that's the core of it. You want to get to where they are. There's very few people that I look at and I go, yes, I want that. I usually look at people and I go, no, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. That's what not to do. And I kind of rebel against it, whereas you run towards it. So like, who do you? Who's your, who do you, who's your hero? Like, Usually the underdogs or the people that fail spectacularly because... I feel like, you know, like Tanya Harding, I she's kind of an anti-hero, but she's my hero in a way because life did not go as planned. And I do think that she worked hard, but she just, you know, she had everything taken away from her. Do you not think that she's your hero because she's pretty disappointing and you're not going to be disappointed by her? Maybe it's a fear of being disappointed. But then like there's Cardi B and Cardi B has exploded because she started being honest you know she was she was at the slog for years she was trying to make it work she was trying to be a rapper and then she got kind of got her break by doing these Facebook live videos and doing these videos where she was just telling her truth as she saw it and people related to it on a massive scale and then she's just so refreshing because she's a breath of fresh air against this kind of thing of like hard work has to look like virtue. Hard work for her was stripping and hard work for her was doing stuff that is kind of frowned upon and she did it anyway because that was what she had to do in order to survive. Not too long ago I was dancing for dollars. 
really real if I let you be my mama. You don't want a girl like me, I'm too crazy. But every other girl you meet is too gazy. I'm sure them other girls were nice enough, but you need someone to spice it up. So who you gonna call? Cardi, Cardi, come and rev it up like a Harley, Harley. Why is the best food always forbidden? So I would, I really have, don't have any respect for Cardi B. But if she's your hero, what do you take from your hero? to bring into your own life to make your own achieve like so how are you going to use your hero Cardi B stuff to get to where you want to go I don't know I mean it's a hard question because I have such a aversion to looking at it as this is where I want to go these are my goals and it's something I'm trying to get my head around but I feel like with Cardi B because she tried different things out and she kept going no matter what and it wasn't always towards the same goal that the goalposts change sometimes but that she made it work for her that maybe that's what I'm trying to take away but I don't I don't know I don't have the same drive to look at other people and go okay how did they succeed how can that apply my that to my own life because I think for me it has been about how do I keep my head above water for a long time or like, how do I survive? So I'm not necessarily... You mean emotionally, financially? Everything. I mean, you know, with moving to New York, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was broke. I had no money. And trying to make it work for me, I've always learned much more from friends as heroes. So the the example has to be much more immediate because I have to know firsthand almost how it almost could have failed. Do you know what I mean? Because it's always this like almost neurotic urge to protect myself from failure so maybe I'm just looking at it the wrong way where I'm rather than trying to succeed I'm just trying not to fail so who was your first hero probably my first hero was Santa (laughs) but then my second hero was Celine Dion Celine Dion of yeah. Titanic. No, and actually she hates that song and oh. she never sings it in public because she really hates it and she's got much better songs in the album Falling Into You, which is my favourite. Yeah, some of her chord progressions like made me feel things I had never felt before. I do still listen to her when I need to have a good cry. She's like a permission giver for like your emotions. Um, My next hero. Who's on um, the list? Marion Keys, I just think she's amazing and she really is one of the reasons I do what I do. Um, Let's give her a call. Okay. Do you think she's going to answer? I hope so. Please answer, please answer, please answer. Hello? Hello, Marion. Hello. Hi, it's Stephanie Preisner. I know. Hi. <laughs> I'm good. Um, I'm ringing you from RTE. Uh, yeah. Yeah, to tell you that you're one of my heroes and to chat to God, you. God, no. You, yes, like. God, you're so lovely. Yes, like. <laughs> oh, no, no, seriously. I don't feel worthy and I'm very honoured and I love your work. Uh, I'm just kind of disregarding that because I can't take a compliment like that. No, neither can I. Is no, that... this is really hard for me. <laughs> Let's just self-deprecate at each other. Right. Yes, yes. Do you have people like write to you and tell you that you're their hero and stuff? No, I, I don't get the hero stuff. What I get 
the odd time is people writing and thanking me for talking about, you know, kind of having mental illness or, you know, living with depression. Mm-hmm. Like, they thank me for that because they feel it's such a taboo subject still that if somebody in the public eye talks about it, um, and especially somebody who's supposed to have every good thing in their life, yes. if they can talk about it, and if they suffer from it, then it makes it okay for other people too. So I get that. I don't get the hero thing at all. Well, the um, hero thing for me comes from the fact it's it's actually not about any of that. It's it's sort of the the, the work and the ethic and the how you sort of navigate your public and private life, which is on. to be like very public about some of the private things and yet to hold very kindly a boundary of like, and that is all you shall know for Maze me, you know, and right. I need to now step back and prioritise myself. And also how you see you on Twitter and you just are so funny and also gracious. And then all of a sudden you see you on like RTE or the six o'clock show promoting a new book. And it's like, where does she, like, oh, that is the sign of a hero, someone who is playful, but is very serious about their work. And the only way you know is because of how prolific they are. And I often set your Twitter as a gauge to my social media. Yeah, I'm like, if Marion's not on, then I need to be at work because she's at work. Oh my God, (laughs) that's incredible. I mean, I feel like I'm on Twitter 24 hours a day and I'm very, I'm really interested in this. I mean, I feel lazy. I feel unprolific. Um, It's very weird to hear this. I don't know. I think it's a sense I get that you are so much, you make yourself almost so available to people online and, and, and with how much of yourself that you share and the honesty, the, the brutal honesty um, that is showing life as a writer, which is contrary to many people who decide to glamorise it and fetishise oh. it and Instagram filter it, you know? Oh God, okay, that's totally not me. Yeah, I am... Um I find it hard to lie, to be honest with you, which is weird. It's really hard work to not be honest, I find. And also, I know when other people present me with pictures of an idealised life or an idealised work ethic, and it makes me feel wretched. And I don't want to do that to anyone. You know, I would rather connect with people through being realistic and open about what's going on with me rather than have... To maintain oh, the word? a facade of... Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, in that way, you might feel superficially glamorous and fabulous, but you've alienated so many people. Well, that's the thing that I I felt like I had a, a, a full vision from listening to you. And because you do put out so much output, like I've watched all of the YouTube videos and read all the books and all the interviews and I... I got a very three-dimensional, I felt, sense of what it is like to work in this industry. And there was, I was under no illusions. Oh, and I was like, well, if she can do it, you're like a permission giver. Like, oh my God, that's wonderful. No, that's really wonderful. And I'm glad that you got a real sense of what it is to work in this industry. Because it is a wonderful job. But it is not always a glamorous job. No. And... 
it's also a job that can can kind of leave you feeling incredibly vulnerable and pillaged and also like you've disappointed people like things like having to get my photograph taken I can't tell you Steph how much I hate it um, it makes me very uncomfortable and I find that sort of thing where I can't give the right image to the photographer that leaves me feeling very miserable so I try and avoid them as much as I can or the situations where people have decided that because other people glamorise the industry and are, have, yes. are fake about it, that you should be able to perform like... The same way. The same way, which yeah. is fake. And then you end up feeling like you are a human disappointment. You know, like That's you are in it. person a disappointment because they wanted the Instagram version of you. Exactly, exactly. But I don't have an Instagram version of me. That's what which I'm saying. Is yeah, which is, yeah, exactly. And that means like, I don't need to have one. No, you absolutely don't. And that's why you're and, my hero. Oh, well, I am, I'm not worthy, but thank you. You know, I'm going to say it again. I think you're amazing. I love what you do. And if I, if you felt that I gave you permission, then I'm delighted. That was lovely. She's lovely. You just have this look on your face like you're speaking to God nearly. But she's so honest. She's so honest about it. Like, Yeah, but the trust and the faith that you have in her and the absolute desire for guidance, it's amazing. I wish I had that. Why do you not want to be guided? I do, but you believe what she's saying. Because she's walking it, like she's backing it up. Like she doesn't she just is. say anything that she can't prove. No, but I, I have this instinct to kind of go, mm, but is she really? like, but it's Marion Keys. Like it's Marion Keys. No, I know that, and and I think she's great. But I, in my own life, have always struggled with finding somebody that I could believe because I'm so cynical. I need to have an understanding of the person. And their flaws kind of up front, which she she is up front about. Otherwise, for me, it's just not believable. You know, when when people are kind of like, oh, well, you know, I struggle with some things, but mostly everything's great. Isn't there some sort of theory that if you are focusing on what not to do, the universe can't tell that you're focusing on not. It'll just focus on like you're focusing on failure. Even if it's not not to fail, you're still focusing on fail, fail, fail. Whereas if you focus on success rather than negative failure, then that's what you'll be pushed towards or something, you know? Yeah. It's like... You could be right. And you're still adamant that there isn't like a single teacher, like influencer. No, if you take it, if you take it from that point of view, yes, of course, I have asked people for advice. Yeah. And I have given, I've had people talk to me that, I've taken it on board. Like who? So when we were in UCC, do you remember Jerry Fitzgibbon? Yeah. He was the head of the department. Of Drama and Theatre Studies. And I went to him. I was, after graduating from undergraduate, wondering kind of what the next step was. And I asked him to go for coffee with me and like sit down and talk to me. And I was nervous that he would say no. I don't know why I thought he would. And I asked him if he thought I should do an MFA in playwriting. There was a new program that had just started up. I was thinking about applying. Um, so let's call him up and give him a chat. 
see if he remembers. Hello, Jer. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Obviously, you still remember us, I hope. <laughs> oh, you're scorched into my consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of students were we? Were we a pain in the ass? Um, from time to time, like every other student. But uh, no, not not really, because you were both very, um, very strong, very opinionated people, very different. I How mean, you were, were in different, different years anyway. Yeah. So yeah. that creates its, you know, each year creates its own dynamic. Um, and the kind of composition of the class creates its own sort of structure, you know. So it's like the cast of a play almost. Um, one of the big things, I mean, that you guys might remember is we used to talk a lot about contracting in, not just turning up and dozing in the corner of the classroom, but actually kind of being there and contributing energy to what was going on and being fully part of it. That that was a kind of big deal for us in drama and theatre studies. And I think, Stephanie, you kind of brought that in really from day one. I mean, to the extent almost that it had to be controlled. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just to give other people a chance, you know. But um, I I think, Rachel, with your your kind of trajectory was a bit different. I always felt um, (laughs) you were kind of more, well, certainly for the first couple of years, I've, I thought you were at least half out the door. You were kind of sitting in the corner looking very cynical and rather critical. That's exactly it. And not really buying what was going on part of the time anyway. But um, but you kind of got into it more and more as the course went on. So everybody has their own trajectory, I mean, in these things, you know. It was a sort of experience I had myself, I guess, when I was in my teens and not so much when I was in UCC, where I kind of bought into things. But for a long time, I was inclined to hang back and sort of be the one kind of making cynical remarks in the corner, um, which is kind of quite a comfortable position to be in. Yeah, but actually, then you don't have to put yourself out there. But then you realise, other actually, the other people are having much more fun, mm. um, and they are making idiots of themselves from time to time. But actually, they're having more fun while they're doing it, and so you know that's a that's a kind of a big step to take when you've particularly when you've established the other role. Um, it's quite a big change to kind of throw yourself in and particularly start writing. I mean, because that's a very exposed activity, you know. I don't know if you remember, I asked you about whether or not I should do an MFA in playwriting mm-hmm. and your advice was well why don't you just go and write some plays yeah yeah it's it's like it's a classic thing of um somebody saying you know I want to be a writer I should do a course and the obvious answer is well go and write something first find mm-hmm. out whether you really want to be a writer do you know what I mean nobody nobody ever would go to an art school without picking up paints and daubing something but somehow or other with writing, we think it's different. And sometimes we just put up barriers in front of ourselves anyway. Or we give ourselves excuses for not doing it. I think that when I went to university, you know, you would have been sort of like named on my, let's say on my timetable as lecturer, you know. But there was nothing about you that was, it wasn't a lecture. And the reason that you became a kind of a mentor for me was that I'm always looking for like, the greatest authority on someone. So it meant a lot to me that you did have qualifications behind you as I trudged into this kind of sphere of, you know, 
people who wear linen clothing and no shoes um, <laughs> and you carried a briefcase into our first lecture and I was like this is the guy I don't want the guy who has the backpack and like the tunic <laughs> I want to follow this guy because if all goes wrong and I follow his path I will work at a university and that is a respectable job. <laughs> so it was that that kind of made me go, yeah, I'm yeah. going to take him as my un- mm. un- unofficial mentor. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny because mentorship, when you start talking about it formally, sounds like, um, I don't know, it sounds a bit... Like, gandalf uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Yoda or something, yeah. you know. Mm. <laughs> but... I was thinking about the whole mentorship thing and I, uh, one of my old teachers died oh, only about a few months ago oh. and um, a man called Dan Donovan and Dan Donovan was a secondary teacher. He also tutored a bit in UCC but he was just truly exceptional as a teacher and he, of course he was also top and tail of theatre in Cork. He was one of the founders of the Everyman and so on and so on. And he was a, an actor and a director and he did every darn thing. And he did it all at the same time. But in a school which was very rugby and very um, quite tough at times, he was a real complex, interesting and humane human being. And he taught us how to be human beings, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it sounds, yeah. sounds odd to say it in that way. But he, because he treated people in class with respect. So Dan was never formally in any way my mentor, but I think he was mentor to an awful lot of people in many ways because he gave us a model of how you could be a teacher and how you could be a person and how you could be involved in drama and theatre and how you could be an actor and you could be a director and you could do all of those things. Well, I think that you, for many people who've come through drama and theatre studies, are the same because you, certainly for me, coming from a very business-minded family um, and with your briefcase and your, you know, like, professorship, gave permission to live a creative life and for that not to be something to be shirked at or laughed at that you know it was a career and it was an option and it was legitimate and and I suppose I've always believed it was important yeah and you're not looking to be a mentor no. you know no um, I mean yeah I, I kind of wouldn't really trust somebody who set out to be that yeah it's a bit like, you know, wanting to be Taoiseach. You immediately <laughs> think that's a disqualification right there. If you, <laughs> you know. God, I love listening to him and knowing that he remembers me. It gives me a serious sense of approval. Is that what you get all the time with your mentors? Um, Kind of, yeah. I mean... I don't, I'm not surprised that he remembered me. But then you forget so many of your teachers that like you're surprised. <laughs> and I think I am forgotten by a lot of them. I have a mentor now. It started off as a non-formal arrangement. Actually, it's never really been fully formalized. But um, I am ambitious and I always want to be, you know, the best that I can be and, and be seen to be achieving and an achiever. And I came across a woman in print and at a at a conference and she everyone was kind of 
all of the chairs in the room were facing towards her, right? And, mm. and everyone was hanging on her every word. And she was giving these tips for how to be the best of yourself and how to be interested in other people and how to make a great impression. And she was saying things like, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and telling us how she lives her life. And Are you describing yourself? No, but kind of. So like I'm describing Terry Prone. And I was like, I want what she has. I want to be there where all the chairs are facing and I'm going to do what she's doing. And then one day I'll get there. And so then I got to meet her and then I started to liaise hmm. with her or be in touch with her. Correspond. Correspond, yes. Much less creepy. I started to correspond with her. I actually don't think I've ever actually told her that she's my mentor. I'm going to tell her now, maybe. <laughs> so Terry, thank you for coming in to talk to us today. Stephanie is always singing your praises and has gained so much from your advice. Do you consider yourself her mentor? Well, until today, no. (laughs) Uh, You kind of learn uh, when you're listening. Um, I would have been amazed that this could have happened. I sent her a book that I thought she would like a couple of days afterwards. And she came back to me on an email and said something like, Thank you for sending me the book. I don't read books. <laughs> to have somebody actually say out loud or in an email, I don't read books. It's like saying I have a small touch of bubonic plague, <laughs> mange, worms, who's. If you don't read books, you are not human. So the fact that we survived that is kind of miraculous to me. Yeah, I did subsequently read and love the book and (laughs) have read it very many times since because I'm working on it. Um, But when you speak at events and you give tips about like how people should be in business or how people should live their lives, do you think that there's something admirable in taking them to the nth degree or should they be taken with a pinch of salt or is it a bit weird that I took them down and then followed them? So literally. There's always one. And I'm always talking to that one. If you have an audience of 300, there might be two. Um, Other than that, you're just entertainment for the rest. And particularly if it's one of these networking things, women like to go to them because they're a break from the routine and maybe they'll pick up something. And I always try to say, okay, anybody there who really, really wants something that could be useful to them, I give that person a few tips Other than that, I would try to make people laugh, try to be useful to them, just in the sense of, well, that wasn't boring, Mm -hmm. because the worst thing in the world is to be bored. To be bored is just a crime against nature. I remember once (laughs) telling you I was bored. (laughs) I haven't done it twice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that any child, for example, who says I'm bored needs a severe talking to. This notion that the world is there to entertain you, you're there to entertain you. It seems weird when somebody is listening to you and picking up things that you're saying (laughs) that you shouldn't trust them. (laughs) But I didn't. And also my own experience with mentors was the other way around. I Mm. got adopted by people. So you didn't seek them out. They kind of saw something in you that they wanted to encourage I, I, when I was, I think, 11, I sent an entry to a newspaper and there was a guy called Captain Mac. I thought he was real. And um, he sent me back. First of all, I won a watch. The watch <laughs> never worked, but that's a side <laughs> issue. But he sent me back this letter saying, 
you can't spell and you can't punctuate, but you can write funny stuff and I need funny stuff, so I'll teach you how to be a journalist. And it's a man named Tony Butler. And at long distance, and every now and again, he'd haul me in and say, now, I want to show you this, this, this and this. So that by the time I was 16, I knew how to write for any newspaper, any radio programme. And he did it for free. And I've never got over the gratitude. And I've had a few people like that. And I think, oh, my God, I was so lucky. And do you feel lucky in the moment? Or are you like, this guy is pulling me in here to teach me how to punctuate? Oh, no. I love people who give you secrets and it doesn't have to be secrets that you can use. I think that, first of all, there's there's a misunderstanding about mentorship generally. Mm. P- I mean, I get paid to, not by you, but by people <laughs> with more money than you. Um, I get paid to mentor people, but they very often come with the belief that, first of all, I'm going to give them advice. Mm. And you don't? No. The The key thing in my mind for mentoring is, you know, the Goethe thing, uh, if you treat a man as he is, that's all he will ever be. If you treat him as he could be, there's no limits to what he could be. I think a mentor has to see all the potential in you that you don't see, that you don't know. And not give you advice, but maybe occasionally go, when you're approaching that, have you looked at the possibility of, so that you're you're helping them think, but it's their thinking, it's their life. It's not the same as when you're doing a speech and saying, here's 10 tips to make you a better communicator. Yeah, and I know that with you as well, like... I- I would say that I do come to you for advice, but now that you've said it in that way, it is always phrased in a, you know, so I'm like, I don't know if I should say yes to this thing. And then you'll respond saying, I would have thought that someone at your career is too busy to do something this, this. And then I'm like, <laughs> ah, yes, I am too busy. Rather than saying like, no, you shouldn't because. So she's providing perspective. And also, is that fair to say? Yeah. And, and taking herself out of the firing line when I say, I said no to this thing and you told me this was your, your fault. fault. <laughs> and she'll be like, no, I just said I would have thought something. something. Mm. I think everybody needs somebody who's looking out for them. And if you're very lucky, you find it in the people who love you or who fall in love with you or you have a mother who's that kind of person but sometimes your family are different they're there for a whole load of different things but you need that somebody who is grown up who thinks you are fantastic that's the the absolute fundamental not waiting to catch you doing something wrong waiting Mm. to catch you doing something right and reinforce it and make you realize holy god i'm really good at this That gave me a lot to think about. Yeah. The way that Terry's talking as though mentors aren't this giver of rules and these are all the things that you have to do. But she's saying, actually, they just give you perspective because they've been around longer and they've seen more. People have like little effects and little marks that they leave on one another. Like, Do you think that you have, have you ever mentored someone? Like, I would, I think you probably have. Actually, yeah, you have, I yeah. actually have. 
what drove you to being a mentor if you don't respect the idea of having a mentor? Part of it was because there was this structured program that I had a chance to be a part of and I saw it as a way to give back because for all of my talk, there are obviously people like Jer who have impacted my life and I wanted to give somebody, you know, a little bit of that perspective that we've been talking about. So who was it? So it was a young woman named Janelle. She was in fifth year in high school in America and she was part of a program that was aiming towards being prepared for college. And so I had to do things like mock interviews, help her with her personal statement essay and basically just help her figure out how she wanted to go about getting into college, what kind of college she wanted to go to. So I caught up with her in New York and one of the first things I asked her was what she got out of having me as a mentor. I learned how to be able to advocate for myself more, mm. um, how to speak up when I want to say something very important um, and how to grow connections with other people because it's very crucial to be able to have others who can help you. Were you nervous going into the, the whole mentorship thing or were you skeptical? How did you feel about it? I was nervous um, because I'm so introverted and I find it very hard for me to tell other people about about the things that I need and so getting a mentor I was very just like oh my god someone's gonna have to like deal with me and my shyness and like I have to open up and talk but then it was also something that I wanted to do because I wanted to learn from someone who had more experiences. And you remember when you were still in high school you were working with eighth graders is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes I was a kind of guidance to their entry into high school mm. and so we we were just teaching them ways to get through high school and like what to do to think about what is leading up to what is going to be college was it weird giving advice to people younger than you while also getting advice from someone older than you was that kind of a funny spot to be in or did it all make sense <laughs> Um, it was kind of weird because, um, like you said, you didn't feel like uh, you were <laughs> you had enough experiences or you were in a position to give advice to others. But then while doing it, I learned that I had a lot of experiences that I just don't think about to give other people mm. um, advice on or just to teach them what to do. And so it was an eye opener for me. Um, we didn't get to meet much, but I was able to give enough advice where she learned a little bit of things that I learned from you as well. What do you think the best part of having a mentor is? Um, I think the best part of having a mentor is there's someone who can listen to you and then be able to take what you have told them and make it personalized and just personalized information to give you back from their experiences, but they make it to the point where they know that they've listened to you and they can actually give you back a proper answer or a good enough answer um, because everyone needs a little bit of help or just assurance from someone who... Mm. I had more experiences in life and so just a mentor they just they're able to listen and and understand the things that you're going through 
so that was Janelle and it's really weird listening to her because I can hear that she did actually get something from it but I think part of what it is for me is that I don't mind giving advice and I don't mind giving help not so good with receiving it I know and of course she had a great time because like you are I know Terry is officially or whatever slightly more officially my mentor but I get so much you know like I send you screenshots of text messages that I can't read and emails I'm afraid to respond to and situations I don't know how to deal with and you are this sort of like running commentary mentor that exists with me all the time so of course Janelle found you beneficial but if I tried to do the same to you like if I see you but carrying you 16 suitcases and ask you if you want help, you're like, nah, I'm okay. I'm like, okay, break your spine. But you had to call me out on that and you had to say, it's no fun. Because the thing with a mentorship is that it is a little bit of a one-way street, but a friendship is different. And it's no fun if you're just, you called me out on this and you said, it's no fun if I'm just constantly asking for help and you're just constantly trying to give it. It has to be a give and take. And so... In some ways, I actually think that you mentor me as well by saying, hey, hop on and be real about what you're going through and be real about what you need, because that's the only way I can actually be a friend to you. And I think another thing that you've mentored me through or talked to me about is how when you ask somebody for help, you give them a massive gift because it's really nice to help people that you love. And if I never ask for help and I never accept advice or or anything from anybody, I'm really depriving them of the joy of doing that for me. I said that? Well, that is inspired. <laughs> yeah, I'm very I think we should talk to someone who's actually qualified because I think I give a lot of unqualified advice. Let's talk to Alison Keating our resident psychologist here in Situationships Towers. Hello, Alison. Hello. From your point of view, what is the benefit or pitfall of having a mentor? I think it's what it means to you. Um, and if you take mentorship back to kind of Buddhist type of principles, it's much more like an equal relationship where I think we have this idea that the idea is the mentor is the person who knows and you're lesser than them. But I, I like the kind of Buddhist idea that that it's an equal relationship where you won't actually get as far as you need to get if you think that they are much better than you. So it's I think we just love putting relationships into boxes. So they're either better than us, they're inferior, or we're equal. So it's looking at the power play and what it actually means to you. Um, the, the the kind of the, the beauty of a, of a good mentoring relationship is that you trust each other you are putting yourself in a vulnerable position by saying, actually, I don't know this 100%. And for people, that's really, really hard. I think it's very hard for everybody, but for some people, it's it's more difficult. To one person, it's feedback. To another, it's criticism. Mm. So I'm just afraid. Yeah, you are afraid, but it makes sense. Like, I think it's it's good to actually recognize, I am afraid. Mm. And then, then you can actually do something about it because it's uncomfortable to be told no matter how great it is, this kind of constructive feedback is a load of rubbish, really. It's always hard. It's always hurtful when someone says, by the way... <laughs> You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, or you could do this better, or whatever the hell they say. Yeah. Whatever way it's wrapped up, it's, it's still one of those sandwiches. Do you know what I mean? And it's well, hard to take. If I always believe that the mentorship will, will fail, then it will. Yeah. Whereas you always... You go into any kind of encounter with an official or an unofficial mentor with... I'm going to learn so much from this person. So obviously you learn from that person. I go in going, wait till I see now 
even how today, this person will fail. Like, I'm going to catch this person out. It's like, why would you go into something looking to catch someone out? Why would I do that? <laughs> I think you know. <laughs> to protect myself. Because it feels safer. Yeah. Of course. Like they were saying, it's really safe to be a cynic. Okay, so I recognize this. I'm starting to accept it. How do I change it? You know, how do, how do I get to a point where I could conceivably one day have a mentor of my very own? I think you find someone that you connect with. So you need to like them. And you build a relationship and that can take a bit of time. And maybe just just be aware of the biases that you have and and don't be judgmental about it just be like oh yeah here I am waiting for them to trip up I I was waiting for this one and it's that expectation that you'll be proved right which is Stephanie saying is that kind of historical influence that we everybody has these are our blind spots you know and I think the great thing about a mentor is at a basic level strangers can tell more about you than you know, a stranger can tell more about you than you know yourself sometimes. I think insight is difficult and painful but useful, whereas it's kind of a self-congratulatory, you're never really growing, you're never learning. So I think just look at where you are now and every time a feeling comes up where you're like, eh, and the cynicism is a good one because it's just, it's just a repeated pattern and just go, do you know what? Okay, here it is again. What am I resisting to here? Um, but don't be mean about it. Like, be really compassionate and be like, this is what my brain does. It's going to, you know, it's going to bring me to the same place every time to make me go, oh, yes, like, my feed is correct again. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just step back and go, okay, grand, what else could I do here? So you, you come at it really practically, like, kind of unemotionally, um, and allow yourself just to open up. But opening up is painful. It is. And so maybe I won't always be able to do that. But Steph... You can remind me if I'm being too cynical. And I will, and I'll try to be gentle. And I'm wondering if, on the other side of it, I give too much of my power to my mentors. Sometimes I feel like if I can't, if I'm having what I imagine is some sort of crisis or dilemma, if I can't be in communication with a mentor Mm -hmm. or Rachel or someone, I feel like I'm incapable by myself, that somehow my dependence on mentors has removed some agency from me yeah is that like a common thing totally but that's where you have to believe in yourself and have self-efficacy that comes within and again there's a massive risk in that so so you know you can't blame them then when I make the wrong decision yeah but or you might make the right decision yeah but you see how your bias goes directly back to that you think you will make the wrong decision yeah so just just again being really like compassionate and go I can do this and it's really uncomfortable again. I think I think a balance in between the two of you is is nice. We can help each other. And and you we do actually help, help each other. Like you're you're kind of coming in with look how inspiring it can be and you're coming in going, No, actually I want to do it myself, but kind of a commonality in that or a common ground is is quite useful. Yeah. Or we could get really codependent and just do it with each other. <laughs> Maybe all the we time. could just mind meld and become one person. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Alison. This is um I think this has been pretty insightful in terms of like I'm no longer going to try and convince you that like my way is the right way because I see the flaws in my way but also you're not going to be trying to convince me to ditch my mentors and come on an adventure with you to the Camino. (laughs) No and I think uh, I'm rethinking the whole concept I had of mentorship which is that it's this very lateral one person is great another person is crap and you know it's a one-way system and that actually 
I'll take my mentors where I find them now. And so sometimes if I'm mentored by you, it's okay. It doesn't mean I'm not working hard enough on my own or I'm somehow less dependent. It's not taking away my agency to have a mentor. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Situationships. Come back next time. This has been an Ojo production for RTE Radio 1.